Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Adrian McNair, freelance writer, joins me from uh, the suburbs of Vancouver. How you doing, Adrian? Pretty good, and you? I'm good. Welcome to Shortcuts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by David Crow, Kristen Tresseur, Ryan Steele, Jorge Barrera, Catherine, Eileen Mountain, Carol Linnett, Matt Fimblewinter, and J.F. Prier. J.F., why did you decide to be awesome? Because of the lack of uh, diversity in the Canadian media landscape, we need uh, many different voices, so I'm happy to support uh, Canada Land. This episode is also brought to you by Sure Design T-shirts. I don't know, Adrian, where you get your tribal designs uh, on your ethically produced cotton T-shirts, but <laughs> you, you should have a look at Sure Design T-shirts. They are a company based in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and they make these unique crinkly cotton T-shirts that are very soft and stretchy. One satisfied customer describes Sure Design t-shirts as unreasonably soft and comfortable. And the company also makes yoga wear and bags and fair trade handmade jewelry. They do custom printing in the U.S. If you have your own store or a yoga studio here in Canada, you can order wholesale from Sure Design and get products shipped internationally at wholesale rates. If you are interested... 
and locally sourced Thai products. There is no better source than Sure Design. And they do have, I keep mentioning, really cool vintage beer logos. And they're not brands that we're familiar with. These are international beer brands. You should have a look at these, Adrian, and you can do so. <laughs> Check it out at SureDesignT-shirts.com. Okay, thanks for the tip. <laughs> no problem. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. We have like a heavy show today, two kind of uh, very serious topics. So before we even get there, I just wanted to check, like sometimes something pops up in the press and it's not really worth a lengthy conversation, but I do just want to recognize this trend. And it, 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 the trend, Adrian, is that it's, it's springtime and the press seems super horny to me in a way that is like a little bit like an uncomfortable horny uncle. Like, I don't know if any of this reached BC. I, I also shouldn't be talking about this too much because it's very Ontario-centric. But there's this like one of these stories where a young woman at a high school here in Ontario started a campaign to wear halter tops. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I know. If a teenager in Ontario wears a halter top, do you hear about that in BC? Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, you know, I even had a bit of a Twitter war with somebody, uh, you know, who was saying this was uh, repressing women and repressing girls, and I kind of had it, had it out with her. But, you know, I have, I have an interesting story about that if you're interested to hear uh, my take on it. Absolutely. So I have been a community reporter, so community news, not national news, but a community news reporter here in B.C. for the last four years. And um, 
You do a lot of uh, stories that involve uh, kids with community news. So you go to the high school and you interview the high school football team or what have you. So I was doing a story uh, here locally a couple years ago, and I went uh, to interview a bunch of kids who were doing a charity event. It was really nice, uh, but it involved running. So uh, I thought I'm going to take a great photo of these kids lacing up their shoes, right? So, uh, uh, you know, I get down on the ground and, and uh, I'm ready to get that that really close shot so it's going to look really cool and wide angle and but the problem is that this girl's wearing extremely extremely short shorts and I got a peep show of like a 16 year old girl and and, and you know a lot of people might laugh and say you know uh, you know but it, that's disturbing to me <laughs> as a as a parent and, and uh you know you know getting a, a close up peep show of a, of a 16 year old girl was not something that I wanted to see so my take is yes, it can go too far if you, if, you know, in school when these kids are wearing these short little clothes, they maybe should put a little bit more clothing on. But finish your story. Did that photo run? You know, uh, I ran it by a bunch of people and, and uh, you know, I ended up getting a photo where you could see that the shorts were really short and, and like you, her legs were completely exposed. So really, you know, long legs and lots of skin. But ultimately the photo that I chose wasn't too offensive or anything, but it was borderline. It was like, I was a little uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> Cause I, I don't even want to engage with this, like, uh, I don't know, controversy debate. That, that's not really what the show is about, whether or not she should be allowed to wear the halter top. What caught my attention, man, is just that it was an excuse for every newspaper to run photographs of this young woman and other young women in tube tops. I mean, that was what it was about. Most people agree that teenagers should not be allowed to wear this, which is kind of ironic because we were all obviously taking some some pleasure in running these pictures of these young women in very revealing outfits. And then there's a story in the Toronto Star just today. Somebody threw up on Facebook an event listing for an orgy at Trinity Bellwoods Park, a very popular park amongst the hipster contingent of the city of Toronto. And like a thousand people RSVP'd, they're coming to the orgy at Trinity Bellwoods. I think maybe someone is joking and I think maybe a thousand people are kind of in on that joke. And the Toronto Star ran a piece. Is this for real? Is there really going to be an orgy? And they got comments from the cops. And I just think it's like the interest that journalists are taking in sexuality this spring tells us so much more about the newspapers and who they think is reading them than it does about, I think, the subjects of these stories. And it's just it's it's like that ogling uncle at the party. You know, it's just got to chill out a little bit. I, I think that's a good observation. But it's also I think it also tells you a bit about, um, you know, who's kind of writing these stories now you've got uh, sort of digital journalism as they call it but what they're what it really is it's it's uh you know a 22 year old intern straight out of uh, j school who's been asked to to throw some stuff up uh, during an internship and and uh you know they they go for the easy pickings because you know doing real journalism is is hard well i don't know if we can blame the intern somebody had to sign off on these stories you know fair <laughs> enough no fair enough you know i i've been asked to do stuff like that before so no it's, i can't i don't want to blame all the kids <laughs> <laughs> all right let's get on let's move on to the to the serious business well, some stunning new revelations on video made by the man who killed Corporal Nathan Cirillo on Parliament Hill. Jacques Bourbeau, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief, joins us now with more. Jacques. Well, uh, Alan, uh, when Michael Z. Half Bebo launched that attack on Parliament Hill just beforehand, he uh, recorded a, a, a video, and part of that video was released about three months ago by the RCMP. It was 55 seconds in length. Uh, Zihaf Bebo saying that his attack was in retaliation for uh, Canadian soldiers fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq. 
But critically, the RCMP withheld 18 seconds of video. And today the Canadian press is reporting that those 18 seconds uh, include Zihaf Bibo encouraging others to launch attacks in Canada and also mentioning, mentioning several Middle Eastern names. Wrong. They're wrong. That, that ran, that was a Canadian press story. What was in the 18 seconds that the RCMP withheld? What was in it? And, and we were told that it was something that they had to with, withhold. The RCMP told us, uh, Commissioner Bob Polson uh, described this as, uh, they had sound operational reasons for withholding this Arabic stuff from the beginning and the end of that video. Uh, he said that uh, he can't tell us what it is. For the very same reasons that we've edited the video, I cannot explain to you at this point why we have done so. And the press was speculating, well, obviously, you know, they don't want to have, what if he is encouraging other people to commit similar terrorist acts? What if there's some coded message to his fellow Mujahideen? And it all supported a idea that he was not a lone wolf, that he was not one crazy, you know, crackhead doing this, but that there was some kind of organized campaign. And then we get this news story a week ago that ran in the Globe and Mail. The Canadian press story went far and wide, and it stated— Adrian, as, as just like a fact that Ottawa shooter urged others to attack right. in the missing video segment, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know uh, why it is that, that journalists uh, have tended to, to kind of cover for the police um, in, in recent years. Um, but yeah, you see that problem cropping up even in, in local police stories. And, uh, and it's quite frustrating as a journalist to have to deal with that. It's just crazy because we know that that was just completely false. So what's in the actual 18 seconds that finally got released here? I'll, I'll play a little bit of it here. <laughs> The RCMP actually did the translation and the subtitles. I'll just read it in full here quickly. In the name of Allah, the most gracious and the most merciful, all praise to Allah, the Lord of the universe. We seek his help and ask for his forgiveness. Lord, open for me my chest, ease my task for me, and remove the impediment from my speech. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. And then the, the final five seconds. Lord, accept for me and peace be upon you and upon the Mujahideen. May Allah curse you. That's the most threatening he gets. May Allah curse you. And he says it very quietly, but the RCMP subtitle adds two exclamation marks to that final statement. So however you want to interpret this, there's just nothing in there that is uh, consistent with this media portrayal of, of why the RCMP had to hold it. The thing that shocks me is those stories have yet to be corrected or withdrawn. I mean, if you go to the Globe and Mail right now, I've asked Jordan Press, the uh, the Canadian press reporter who uh, who ran this. I sent him a, uh, an email uh, asking him to talk with me about his story. Ottawa shooter urged others to attack in missing video segment. It's not true. Right. No, it, it, that is disturbing. Uh, you know, when, when the media kind of gets a narrative, um, you know, and I, I don't want to pin this on every media outlet but but you're right you know once they they kind of get a narrative and they and they, and they believe something to be true and they it's it's disturbing when they do not go back and correct the record especially when as you say you know it's it's been proven that there, there wasn't a conspiracy or there wasn't he wasn't encouraging others to do this it wasn't uh he wasn't being mentored by somebody from the, the Middle East, you know, this was sort of a lone wolf attack. Yeah, I, and I'm very curious about um, how this story came to be, you know, because apparently Jordan Press writes that he had a couple of sources who confirmed to him last week that uh, two sources who spoke to CP about the video speaking on condition of anonymity because they weren't authorized to discuss the contents of the portion that have yet to be made public. So obviously there there are certain institutions and organizations that the narrative of this as a organized terrorist attack 
benefits and is consistent with, you know, a, a lot of what law enforcement and government has been trying to tell us about this or inferring from this that it's not an isolated incident and trying to kind of create policy around it, everything around that. There are people who want that to be true. So I want to know the story behind that erroneous story. Everybody makes mistakes and everybody can get spun by sources. But like you say, there, there, there's got to be a reckoning for that. They've got to actually own up to the fact that they got it wrong. And I kind of want to know how they got it wrong, because it sounds to me like that's where there's a real story. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the biggest problems with uh, with stories like this is is that there isn't that that reckoning or that uh, you know going back and and being introspective uh, in, in terms of what went wrong with all of the outlets sort of uh, following this story and, and not uh, sort of n- not apologizing, but at least saying you know. The, the story's changed at this point. It, I, I don't know what it is, it, but it is a phenomenon that d- does seem to happen. You know, it's happened in other uh, sort of instances, such as uh, I can think of uh, when the media all went after the detainee story in Afghanistan. You know, and then they, when they found out later that, uh, you know, it, it wasn't quite as they had reported it, you know, as far as people in Canada still think, uh, Canada was completely a big, uh, you know, complicit in torture, torturing Afghans during the Afghan war. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a, a pretty big problem on that end. Well, I think that takes us into the next item, um, which I'll do in a moment. I just want to say I have asked the author of that piece, Jordan Press, as I say, for comment, but I only asked him today, and I, I really do want to get his side of it. So if he gets back to me about just what happened there later on, uh, I'll follow up uh, either in the notes to the show or, or write an article or have him on the show, something like that. But I, I definitely want to know uh, how, how he got that wrong, how that came to be, and follow up on this and continue the story. Do you have anything to say to Mr. Harper, Prime Minister Harper? Well, I'm going to have to disappoint him. I'm, I'm better than the person he thinks I am. <laughs> yeah. Like, I like goodness. I like uh, peace. I like happiness. I like joy. It's all abstract ideas. My problem right now is I'm trying to uh, do everything all at the same time. I'm just hungry to, to experience everything all at once. I wish that I could just get out of prison and just be the next Joe on the street who nobody knows and nobody gives a second look or a thought to. I just wish for people to just give me a chance. Why did the CBC not reveal to Canadians that their propaganda film to whitewash Al-Qaeda terrorist Omar Khadr was made in collaboration with Al Jazeera? It's not a genuine documentary. It doesn't ask any real questions about Omar Khadr's jihadist views. It doesn't probe him deeply. It was an attempt to whitewash him. That's a disgrace. Adrian, uh, based on the editorial you wrote for the National Post, I take it you agree with Ezra Levant that that was a whitewash of Omar Khadr, that CBC documentary. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, you never want to agree too strongly with Ezra Levant <laughs> because I think he's quite on the 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 fringe of uh, you know one side of the spectrum there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the thing about Ezra, people write write him off all the time, but he's uh, he's bang on in certain situations, and and this is one of them. Um, I mean, even the manip- the emotionally manipulative music there. I mean, I know you have to entertain people a little bit. It, it is you know, but it's supposed it's being passed off as a piece of journalism and uh, when you manipulate people in that way and you omit important facts like as Ezra said uh, uh, you know producing conjunction with Al Al Jazeera I mean that that's disturbing 
to me. You know, I, I had a very different take on the documentary, and I had a very strong reaction to your editorial. You know, I, I sort of had an immediate reaction, and then I, I, the more I thought about it, I felt like, I don't want to debate this guy. I really want to understand him, because you and I have such a different response to this this documentary and to the whole case of Cotter, maybe there's more to be learned by just kind of like exploring whether or not we're just coming at this from completely different points of view. You write, you know, the question of whether or not Omar Cotter was a child soldier. Is that a question? I think that it is still up for debate, but if I'm being honest, yeah, he was a kid, uh, 15 years old. We generally don't uh, go that hard on, on people of that age, but... You know, it's certainly not unprecedented. I mean, his particular situation is is pretty rare, if not unique. But it's not unprecedented in the terms of uh, young people being charged with extremely serious crimes like that. You know, I can think of a local case where where a boy was charged for murder at the age of 16. This is a very local. I'm talking about in my in my town. And uh, he's still in prison. He's in his 40s. So people do get charged at that age. I guess I'm a little bit soft on that part. I, I you know, I do think he he was uh, not mature enough to be making those types of decisions. The thing is that in his interview, I mean, now he's uh, you know pushing 30. He's 28 now. In his interview, he he didn't sort of make any suggestion that he was naive or that he was misled or that you know that kind of bothered me. You have your opportunity to say, you know, my dad. Uh, you know, raised me this way. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was an interpreter. Uh, I, I didn't really get a sense that there was a regret there, that there was sort of like I was misled or brainwashed. And that's the narrative, really, of this whole Omar Cotter thing is I was just doing what I was told, but we didn't get that. If anything, if you look at the video evidence, I mean, it looks like he was actually having a pretty good time apprenticing in uh, these acts of jihadi violence against uh, people in Afghanistan. It's just so crazy to me what you're saying. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> whether he, like, either you are a child soldier or you're not. I mean, first of all, either the, the, the this designation of a child soldier either exists in your mind or it doesn't. I mean, it exists in international law. Yeah. So he was by definitely, like, he was a child soldier. His father putting him in a situation where he's building explosives as a minor, putting him in a situation where he's with jihadis who are targeted by, you know, the greatest military the world has ever known is itself a form of child abuse that he had no choice about. Yeah. So what he thinks about that now, whether he feels he was victimized, whether he said that and it was left on the cutting room floor or whether he didn't say that at all, is of like total irrelevance to me. It's, you know, once you understand that this was a child mm -hmm. who was placed in one of the most dangerous situations in the world where, in fact, he ultimately was mutilated. I mean, he was he was there when the American military came by by ground and by air. He lost an eye to two mm -hmm. holes were in his chest. The soldiers, you know, were surprised he was breathing. Right. And before anything that the Canadian government or the American government had any complicity in, he was a victim of his father. Okay, but, but here's the thing. Within the documentary itself, we're not given the impression that he was a victim of his father. We're given the impression that Ahmed Saeed Qadr was a humanitarian who just happened to work with al-Qaeda and the Taliban to achieve his ends of making the world a better place for Afghans. I mean, that is the whitewashing to end all whitewashings, isn't it? I mean, the way that Omar Qadr talked about his dad was like, you know, he wasn't the best guy because, yeah, he dealt with al-Qaeda, but he only did it for for the people. I mean, so that's absurd. But uh, on the other point, you know, talking about Omar as a, as a child soldier, you know, when you talk about the context of child soldiers, you, you, you think of uh, people in the um, children in the uh, Congo or, or, or in Rwanda or 
eight-year-olds who have been forced to either, uh, you know, shoot their friends uh, or be shot themselves, uh, life or death choices. It doesn't seem to me like, like he was put in a life or death choice. He was sort of on vacation there in Afghanistan. His dad said, here, go and be an interpreter for these guys because, you, you know, you can speak both languages. Uh, a lack of coercion. I mean, maybe he was put in the wrong place, wrong time, but... To say that, you know, to compare, it's almost an insult to a lot of the real child soldiers who suffered greatly in, in the wars in Africa to, to compare him to that. I mean, I just find that a little bit ridiculous. And, and and coming from North America, they were affluent. They were, you know, I mean, they weren't too wealthy, but they were well enough off that uh, it wasn't like Omar was uh, some street urchin, right? It's, it's so crazy to me what you're saying. It's so <laughs> with all respect to your to your sympathy for the real child soldiers of the world, like you're suggesting that he had some choice in the matter and that, you know, there's like the difference in free will between a five year old and a 15 year old. I mean, if that's the, if that's the plank you want to stand on, that he, you know, by virtue of him being a little bit older and, and that the family had money, we have to draw the line at some point and say that, you know, under a certain age, you are not responsible for these situations. You you were placed in them. It wasn't your doing. And, and, that, and that he does fall within that category, doesn't he? But it, I mean, if a 15-year-old hockey player, prodigy, you know, wants to be in the NHL and, and makes these decisions at 15 that he's going to do that, I mean, is he, you know, unaware of his actions or, or his choices in life? He's, you know, when I was 15, yeah, I did I did a lot of stupid things. Nobody is in full control of, of you know, their their outcomes or, or their best interests when they're 15. Absolutely. But, I mean, on some level, I mean, he must have real. I mean, come on. 15. You know, I, I hate to make such a an argument like that, like, come on. I and mean, that's not a compelling way to, to talk about my views. But, you know, we've all been there. We weren't completely out of the loop when we were that age. I mean, he, he didn't understand the geopolitical situation. But, I mean, at some point when you're planting IEDs or you realize you are participating in in the, in the murder of other people. I mean, he had to have understood on some level that what he was doing was wrong. I don't even want to engage with it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I think it's completely plausible that he had no idea. If that's your world, if that's your life, if you know your family to be humanitarians, and, you know, to be fair, his father did work for an NGO. His father was involved in humanitarian efforts simultaneously with being a contemporary, uh, like, uh, Islamic fascist. I'm sure that he's a child. This was his family. I think it's completely plausible that he didn't really understand the full implications of what he was involved in. And when you get to the actual point at which he may or may not have thrown that grenade, you're talking about a time when he He's basically a, a war zone situation where everybody around him is, is, is just being, you know, killed. And some people are very, very fixated on whether he threw the, the – once he was covered in rubble with an eyeball torn out of his face and, and shrapnel in his chest, did he throw a grenade or not? To me, that's almost besides the point. I guess what I'm saying is that rather than debate all these, these fine-grained points of the biography, I just feel like we, we have these definitions for a reason. He falls into them. Right. He was a minor. He was a child soldier. Let me try to step back here. You and I saw this documentary so differently because it seemed like the questions you were asking of this documentary were, were questions of Omar Khadr and his family. You know, you wanted to know, what did your father tell you? Did you believe in Islamic Jihad? I'm quoting from your piece here. What did you think about radical Islam? Like, like this documentary was an occasion for him to sort of be interrogated to prove that he has no longer got those kinds of uh, sympathies and that, that we need to know that he's going to be rehabilitated. And to me... 
the occasion of his release is an occasion for us to ask ourselves, what the hell did we do to this kid? And how were we complicit? I mean, you write about his alleged torture. We hear his torturer admitting to torturing him in the film. I mean, isn't the real question now, what did we do? And, and how did we allow ourselves to treat this Canadian child this way? You know, we're looking at this from 2015 hindsight. You, you also have to look at the context uh, under which and, and the timeline in which he was uh, uh, captured by the Americans, um, uh, put in, uh, brought to Bagram and, and tortured and interrogated, and then brought to Guantanamo Bay. And that was back when um, the, I guess, the Chen Martin government was still in power, you know, up until 2006. So um, there wasn't really a, a, a loud Canadian appetite to care about this kid. We were still gung-ho on the American war on terror. We're going to go into Iraq and we're going to find the weapons of mass destruction. And this is something that everybody believed. And, and, and you know, did people have any sympathy for the kid back then? No, they were like, let him burn. They should never save his life. I mean, maybe we don't think that now, but it, it, it's, it's just because we have the benefit uh, of... Uh, you know, a different perspective now. The war in Iraq was a failure. We created more jihadis than we destroyed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's useful to look at it also from a historical perspective. I mean, the liberals had, uh, what, uh, you know, four years to do something. They did nothing. But you know, it feels like Harper, uh, the Harper government, and, you know, I don't want to defend them, but um, they're taking almost 100% of the brunt for this. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right about the Chrétien getting off the hook a little bit uh, when he promised that Omar Khadr would not be treated any differently than any other Canadian citizen who's accused of a crime abroad. That's what he said. And of course, uh, the history of what happened with Omar Khadr's uh, father, you know, being released because of Canadian government intervention and then finding himself rejoining jihadis and, and dying in a gunfight. Certainly, who this guy was and who his family was and who his family was associating with is why he suffered the way he did and is why we abandoned him the way that we did and why he was the last Western citizen in Guantanamo Bay, the only Western citizen who wasn't extradited from a Guantanamo Bay. Right. But we do have that hindsight now. We, we can look back on it. And now is the time for us to look at everything. And I saw this documentary as the occasion where we're first looking at like, you know what? The government has done everything they can to stop us from hearing from him. He's been vilified. We have pictures of him that are, don't look like the way he looks now. And let's look at him. Look at his face. Listen to his humanity. And yeah, I don't feel it was emotionally manipulative. I feel like it was emotional. It is emotional to see a grown man maintain his dignity and his humanity after what he's been through. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with one thing um, with Ezra Levant and with you. I think the CBC should have been more forthcoming about the Al Jazeera connection and not buried that in the end credits. But you know, other than that, I think we still have yet to have the real conversation about this. Yeah, and, and let's hope other journalists are, are granted interviews. I mean, you know, the, the documentary was extremely favorable. And, uh, you know, he's not a free man forever. Uh, there's still uh, still things to wrap up here. But, uh, um, yeah, I would like to hear just a little bit tougher questions. I mean, I'm just, I'm just talking here, not even as a pundit, but as a journalist myself, uh, you know, I, I haven't done giant stories like this, but, um, you know, you want to get a, a number of sides and, uh, and if there were no sides that thought that, you know, Omar had done anything wrong, then fair enough. But, uh, I don't know if they explored all of those, those all of those opportunities to, to find a source who might say, you know, um, the kid, the kid's could still be dangerous or, or, or the kid is, is fine. I, I don't come on. Is that, is that the question? I, I look, man, I'm with you. We need more tough questions about this story, but not to Omar Cotter. That's not who I have those questions for.
been your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you liked it. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. And I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown. Adrian, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Adrian McNair. Canada Land's website is at canadalandshow.com. The crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like this show, support it. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.